Well, welcome back to Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. I'm Ryan. Hey, and I'm Brian. And this is the Bible Bistro. Yes, as I've already said. Yeah, it's a... (laughs) Well, it's it's a podcast all about the Bible theology and things relating to. We yes. had a, we had a, a a listener, one of our faithful listeners, faithful from the General Texas. The 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 uh, we could just say Texas. We have to say well, General. The, Texas. I was going to say the country of Texas, but uh, <laughs> oh my gosh, Texas. The, the independent state of Texas. Um, yeah, pointed out that it's not pertaining to. It's relating. Well, to. Well, I knew I knew you were wrong. But you didn't want to point that out. Well, no, it's because you scrambled my brain in those moments and I couldn't remember. But this is episode number 84. 84? Wow. For those of of you who are counting. And people said it wouldn't last. (laughs) Yes. Who are families? (laughs) Well, we were joking. We were joking last night. We were hanging out with some some other friends and and family members and and joking that, uh, you know, we the only time we talk now is on the podcast. Yeah, we don't don't speak otherwise. (laughs) This is it. But we are in Bistro West today. No, not exactly. Yeah, we're in the we're in the Broadleaf Video Production Studios, the the fine studios. Yes, in Bloomington, normal. So yeah. for all your video needs, oh, go to yeah Broadleaf Video Production. There's a production production, not nest. <laughs> Probably video production. Anyway, he has been so gracious to yeah, us. That's my brother. Been, to, gracious to us to, to let us use his studio and some of his equipment. Yeah, so it's always nice here. See, I think of the Bistro West as like my place, but well, and we're starting to kind of well, fine. But this is this is kind of our normal hangout here. It now. is now, and we've it's got, just nice because all the all the equipment's here, and he's got everything we need: coasters and you know just. Anything we could ask. Coasters, the main thing we need for this podcast. If we don't have coasters, there is no podcast. Anyway, but yes, we're 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 back, and we want to thank yeah. everyone that's listening, that's yeah. our pa- our patrons that have been supporting us, yeah. and we, we're you know we're it, we, we're looking at our stats here, and we're we're getting if you're in Seattle or yeah. the San Francisco area, give us a shout out. Yeah. Good, some new listeners, welcome. Yeah, welcome, welcome to the Bistro. Yeah, so. make yourself at home. <laughs> With pour, coasters, of pour, course. <laughs> if you don't have a coaster, you're not welcome here. Pour some coffee. And <laughs> pour some coffee. Put it on a coaster. Yes, yes. Well, okay. Enough of the the the, the talk. Well, I'm just we've we've bantered. Okay, we've bantered. Okay. People, uh, from what I remember, people like is we don't banter too long, okay. and then we get to the good stuff okay. here. So. All right. Well, what do you want to talk about today? <laughs> I thought we'd talk about an interesting kind of thing. Or at least it's interesting to me, but it's something we we don't think about too much. And, and it's kind of the dating of, of the law, the books of the law. And, and here's what I thought. You, you just, you're just come, freshly come out of Egypt, right? I have. Yes, I have emerged <laughs> victorious from Egypt. Well, our last episode, if you haven't listened, go back and listen to it. It's, um, it's talk, you know, Ryan talking about his trip there in Egypt, his experiences there. Uh, and I thought there's some things that you talked about that will be helpful in what we're going to talk about today. And then the, the episode before that, we talked about the Exodus some and talked about what's going on there. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, some of what the some of the things that the text shows there about polytheism there and that kind of thing, the worship of many gods in, mm-hmm. in that area. So we one of the things we talk about a lot on here, I think you'd agree, Ryan, is the importance of thinking about the historical context of the books that we are studying. Absolutely. Like a, any book of the Bible. One of the things we talk about first is what's this historical context? So we ask questions like, when when was this written? What's the situation? To whom was it addressed? And these kind of things, and, and that makes it's pr- probably clearest when we talk about like Paul's letters. Right. So so right now, for example, I'm in uh, I'm I'm preaching a series through the Book of Galatians in in my in the, in the church where I preach, and um, you know th- there's a couple big questions when it comes to the Book of Galatians. Uh, is it early in Paul's ministry mm-hmm. or is it late? And then is it written to Usually we say the northern or southern Galatian region. Is it written to the churches on the first missionary journey, or is it a later letter after right. the after the churches have begun to spread? So those those kind of questions in Paul's letters make a lot of sense. You have to think about okay, what's going on? First Corinthians, Second Corinthians. You know, when had Paul visited them? What you know the, mm-hmm. the, that that's where it's clearest. But even in books like the Gospels. We talk about the importance of thinking about who they're addressed to, right? Right. Um, you know, 
because it makes a lot of difference in how you read them. Well, the themes and yeah, what right. what how are the yeah, how, who are they who are they speaking to? <clears throat> you know, the, there's a really famous book on interpreting scripture that talks about it's it's like listening to one side of the telephone conversation. Mm-hmm. You need some context in order to understand it, or you can misunderstand. <clears throat> Even the books of the Old Testament, like the um, like the prophets, for example, we'll talk about what is this northern or southern kingdom? What's who's the king during this period mm. of time? Uh, you know, is it a time when Israel is, you know, when God's people are close to him, or is it a time where they're kind of moving away? So so all these all these are important questions. But here's where we don't often think about is in the books of the law. And what mm. I'm talking about here is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And this came up actually in a Sunday school class I was teaching and made me think about the importance of it. We're kind of going back and we're going to do a kind of a survey of the scriptures. And and we don't often so, – so Genesis, for, for example, is, is the book that deals with the earliest kind of material uh, right. in, in scripture, but it, it, it's not – the first Old Testament book, probably not the first Old Testament book written. Uh, first Old Testament book written, do you, you know what it is off the top of your head? Or this is where I put you on, on the spot. Deuteronomy. No. Leviticus. No, that's, see, those are both parts Job. of the law. I don't know. Job. Job, Job. is usually, because it's it's set during the patriarchal period. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but but when, so you mentioned Leviticus and Deuteronomy. So so those five books we call the law. Genesis. The, I'm going to give you some different names for it. The books of Moses is one of the things we call it. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So those five books we call the the books of Moses or the law sometimes, even though the, it's not all legal material. Leviticus is almost entirely, not not entirely, but almost entirely regulations, right, or, or laws, legal mm-hmm. legal material. But we, we call those books the law or, mm-hmm. or the, the, the Hebrew word for it's Torah. Mm-hmm. Uh, those five books are... are, are you know, dealing with with that, but it also has narrative in it too. Genesis, for example, is a, is a story, right? right? Exodus, the first part of it, is a story, and then there's some legal stuff later on. But but those five books, written by Moses, so you think about the historical context of that. Mm-hmm. So so he writes it during the the Exodus, right? Uh, in, in connection with the Exodus, I think around 1446 is is when I date the Exodus, and then we another we'll talk about that another day, maybe. But <laughs> yeah. there's difference, yeah. the differences of opinion on that. But but let's let's say. But here here's my point. Genesis deals with creation, deals with you know the first eleven chapters or so deal with humanity, and then chapter twelve on really focuses upon Abraham. Really, the end of chapter eleven, but technically, well. <laughs> but chapter 12 on deals with Abraham and his family. That's the right. focus, right? The God right. chooses Abraham and his family. But here's the thing I don't think we often think about is when 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 Moses, when Paul, I almost said Paul, when Moses is writing these books, it's in context. way after. It's in connection with the Exodus. Right. Right? So now Paul makes a theological point about this in a couple of different places. Okay. I'll just mention that briefly. Look at, I'm preaching through Galatians right now, so this is fresh in my mind. This was the sermon last week. Galatians chapter 3. 15 through 18. I think you have it there for us, don't you? Yes. Go ahead and just read that for us. Uh, Galatians 3.15, and this is the NIV. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. Oh, sorry, 3.18. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say antecedes, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it is no longer then it no longer depends on the promise, but God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. Now, it's not our primary purpose to talk about Galatians today, but just just to give you some idea of the context is going on here. There's false teaching going on in Galatia, in the, in the region of Galatia, these churches, and and Paul's very concerned with it because he says basically you've set aside the gospel that was preached to you initially. That's chapter one. Mm-hmm. Um, you've set it aside for these people who are bringing you another gospel, mm-hmm. which he says is really not the gospel at all. And, and he's playing on the idea of good news. You know, it's not really good news at all. Right. And basically he's saying they're trying to get you to go back into keeping, keeping the old Testament law. And that's, it becomes clear as you read the rest of the book of Galatians, that that's the primary concern is there are people who are coming and saying, you Gentiles need to keep the old Testament law in order to be 
right with God in order to be able to appropriately um, follow the the Jewish Messiah, you have to be keeping the Jewish law. Right. <clears throat> and so he, he he theologically he makes this point, and you see that four hundred thirty years there. Right. That's what he's talking about. And we'll say something about this covenant. So so God makes this promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter twelve. Right. And we'll look at that in just a minute. And, and then it's not until four hundred and thirty years later that the law is given. So he's saying, okay, how can it be, you know, if, you know, how can, how can, if God's people arise from Abraham, right? And if God has made this promise to Abraham, then how are we depending on the law if the law is not given until 430 years later? And so, so he makes a theological point with this. He does the same thing in Romans. I'll read this just quickly. Romans chapter four, uh, 13 and following. It says, it was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring, or there's the seed idea again, received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For those who depend on the law are heirs. Faith means nothing, and the promise is worthless because the law brings wrath, and where there is no law, there is no transgression. So he talks about this this, um, um, experience of God promising this to Abraham, but then the law coming later. In the next chapter, in Romans chapter 5, he even makes this clear. He says, to be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam— and then what you notice is to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking command, as did Adam, who's the pattern of the one to come. So, so you see that idea, even if we look at creation and Adam, even before the law, there's this idea of, of, the, of the breaking command. Sin is, the sin is there. It's just, it's not recognized. Right. So, so Paul makes a theological point out of this, right? So that there's this, there's this space of time. What I want to do is I want us to go back and then think about why is it that the law is written in the particular way it is. Same way we do for Paul's letters, the same way we would do for the Gospels or for, or for one of the prophets. What is there about this context that that will, I think, point out some important themes in the law? Maybe we've, I mean, I think we've seen these themes before, but it will show us why they are particularly important, I think. that That's kind of what I want to do today, and that all that's kind of introduction to this. <laughs> So this is a series. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so Genesis refers to these events of creation and then it traces the genealogies. And, and as I mentioned, particularly from the end of chapter 11 and chapter 12 on, the focus becomes Abraham. So look at Genesis 12. This is that promise that uh, Paul keeps talking about here in, in Genesis 12. And, and for me and for many others, this becomes, and, and I, I think there's a reason for this, this promise in chapter 12, we call it the covenant a lot. This promise becomes a central way of understanding what God is doing through the rest of of the history of the scriptures and even up to the present day. Okay. Okay. We really need to talk about that sometime, honestly, but Genesis chapter 12, one says, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, from your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. And then here's the promise. And there's three parts to this, I think. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. Uh, I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So the three parts of this, the way that we usually talk about it, is that God promises Abraham that he's going to make him into a great nation. Now, when God gives Abraham this promise, uh, if you look at the end of chapter 11, he's left his homeland. He was born in, you remember where? This is me, my Bible trivia question for uh, you. He was born in... Uh, uh, it goes back up to 11. Ur of the Chaldeans. Oh, of course. Of, of course. <laughs> it was on the tip of my tongue. So down down in the, in the, in the kind of the southeastern part of the Mesopotamia, he was born there. <clears throat> His father ends up traveling and he and some of the family members end up traveling. Uh, we know historically there was, there was a lot of kind of movement during this period of time, but Abraham's on the way and, and they they kind of end up, his father dies. They end up settling in this, in this area. They're, they're not at home. They're not where they were planning to go to. And God meets him there. Abraham at this point is childless. Mm-hmm. And God says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And it's it's kind of interesting, you know. I've made the point before, and we could probably talk about again talk about this a different time. God makes him this promise, not because he's a likely candidate, um, you know, because he's he's childless. So we're going to make a great nation out of you. But now, now think about this in context. Then, so of the historical context of the writing. Okay, what's happening now is Israel 
who is Abraham's descendants are now leaving Egypt as a great number of people. Mm-hmm. I often say in the in the events of the Exodus, uh, they are becoming this great nation. So so I'll say more about that in a minute. But but anyway, that there's that that idea. So so you see, see what I'm saying? This promise that God made to Ab- made to Abraham now it becomes a central way to tell this story. So the, well, and let me go ahead and tell you the other parts of, of the promise. I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to give you a land that I will show you. Mm-hmm. In other words, your your descendants are going to settle in this place. And then uh, I'm, you are going to be, you're going to be blessed, but you're going to be a blessing to all peoples on the face of the earth. Every, every people on the face of the earth is the, is the idea here. And that promise gets passed down. So Abraham tells that to Isaac, right? And, and God affirms it to Isaac, uh, who, who's Abraham's son. Uh, and you might remember there's this whole problem with the son, right? Yes. That, that there's this, you know, they first take things into their own hands. Uh, Hagar, uh, who's a handmaiden. Again, we talk about this another day, but, but Ishmael's yeah. border, but, mm-hmm. but God says, this is not the child of the promise. The child of promise can be born through Sarah. And so Isaac, it's, it's all the stories, an unexpected way in which this whole family dynamic plays out. Isaac's wife, Rebecca, is said to be barren. It's a very short part of that story. It's a major part of Abraham's story. But then she eventually has has a child. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we have this issue of the, the firstborn Esau and Jacob, and the promise goes to Jacob. Uh, and then, um, uh, you know, from Jacob, he, he has these these sons, and then, and then they become the the forerunners of these the tribes, building blocks the of building the tri- blocks of the tribes and and, right. and this nation and so this covenant is passed down through the generations and eventually it comes down to uh, this nation and, and here's my point so so they're seventy in number they're they're an extent they, you call them a clan they're they're about seventy in number when they go down to exit uh, to Egypt mm-hmm. right in the story but down there they begin to multiply and eventually you know the whole story Joseph is 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 the hero but then Joseph dies Exodus begins with this idea uh, uh, new Pharaoh, pharaohs new pharaohs Pharaoh arises who no, no longer knows Joseph and the the Israelites are enslaved. And yet, it says God's blessing is still on them, even though they're slaves. They they they, be, they they begin to multiply. They begin to 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 they're they're having many, and so they become this numerous people. But they're still in captivity. So, in the events of the Exodus, as God leads them through Moses out of the land of Egypt, they really, for the first time, become this independent nation who's no longer an enslaved people within Egypt because they previously had been a a clan and then they just yeah. grew numerous underneath someone and this is yeah. the first time where it's like hey there's a lot of us now when we're out out from underneath another uh, nation exactly so now think about this in terms of the uh, of the context of the of the giving of the law then this whole idea of the covenant they are fulfilling the first first of those three things they are this promise a nation and again, Abraham didn't seem likely to Abraham. It seemed like there were some problems along the way mm-hmm. with his family, right? I don't know if, you know, this family seems to have some fertility issues and other things going <laughs> and on. And other problems, yeah. Right. And so and so, how is it that this comes to be? But now they are, they are there. When they're receiving this message, they are the fulfillment of that, okay? And now the second two parts of that covenant become their um, – theirs to fulfill, right? They're, they're going to be the ones living out. So so what is the promise? They're leaving Egypt, but the promise is they're going to this land, to, to the land of Canaan. This is where God is leading them. And that's the second part of that, that covenant. You see what I'm saying? Right. So I, I think the message in this for, for the people at that time because they're getting Genesis for the first time as they're as they're yeah now traverse. now I I don't know you know we don't know how all this comes about but I, I think these there are oral stories there are mm-hmm. oral traditions that were handed down but then God seems to and and there's a couple different passages you can look at Exodus thirty four twenty seven God says write these things down write the book of the law mm-hmm. so at least we're talking about like the first parts of Leviticus and those those kind of things you know up on Mount Sinai he begins this but then when you get to the end of the book of Deuteronomy. It's like, you know, write all these things down so that the Israelites have them. And so the, I think there's these stories. It's not like people didn't know, you know, they forgot they, who Abraham was. Right. You know, when Moses is identified, he's identified as as a Levite. 
So they remember the story of the patriarchs. You know, they they knew that they are from these tribes, for example. It, it was an oral tradition. I think so. You know, passed so. around the campfires and so forth. But but then God, I think, reveals it. And, and the, as we've talked about, the Holy Spirit inspires Moses to, to write these things. And, and so it becomes an accurate, um, reliable uh, a recounting. But, but here's the thing I want to focus on today. It's written in the context of this exodus for the Israelites, I think, and the importance here is to see God fulfilled this, even though at times it seemed like this was unlikely. Even if you think of the story of Joseph, you know, he was left for dead from, by his brothers and ends up getting sold into slavery. And then the whole story about how he becomes kind of kind of the hero of this um, and, and saves Egypt. You know, all these stories um, give how do I say this, confidence as the Israelites begin to embark on this idea of going and inhabiting the, the, the promised land. Yeah. That, that there's God's been working the whole time. Right. And like right. these things that it seem impossible, but they're, they're fulfilling the, the, the promise. And my only point is we, we don't often, we don't often think about that. Okay. Mm-hmm. We don't often think about giving in this way. So <laughs> let me get to the main point of what I was talking about. So this is this is where it came up in Sunday school. We were talking about the creation account, mm-hmm. and, and we we obviously bring our own questions to Scripture, whether it's Genesis or it's it's Galatians, right? We, we at Revelation, we bring our questions to to it, right? Yeah. Now we have to be careful about that, though, and that's why we always say, let's think about the historical context. And again, mm-hmm. Galatians, Revelation, that makes sense. We we, we can see that clearly. But I think it's even true when we look at the creation account in Genesis is part of what this is about is is thinking about, okay, what were the questions the Israelites would have had mm-hmm. in, in connection with this? And my, my point is, is one of the things that the creation account is clear about is that God is the creator of everything. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, one of the exercises that I do sometimes when I teach this is I'll have people say, okay, Genesis chapter one, just look at Genesis chapter one. What does God create what, off the top of your head? What, what does God create in Genesis one? What do you, what do you remember? It's mentioned specifically uh, light, light and dark darkness. He separates the light from the darkness. That's mm-hmm. day one, right? Mm-hmm. What else? Uh, heavens and the earth. Heavens and the earth. So, so he separates the the waters. There's the water that's the expanse of the sky, and there's the waters on the ground. And then he separates. It's it's all this. It, it's, it's all the separation. It's it, really interesting. It's these contrasts: light and dark, dichotomies uh, on the sky and earth, the dry ground and the seas. And then he starts talking about the seed, the, the plants, the seed bearing plants, the the trees and the shrubs, um, the an, okay animals. He he starts talking about animals, and he talks about well, there's the animals that fly in the air, and there's the animals that creep on the earth, and then there's the animals that swim in the sea, right? Mm-hmm. And so here's my point: is is all of these kind of contrasts and everything. The primary point is that God is the one who's responsible for creating all things. Mm-hmm. So one of the things, and it's and and when I say this, sometimes. People are like, oh, I, don't know. I don't know if I see this. And, and here's where I'm, I'm trying to put it within its historical context. One of the primary points of the creation account is to defend the idea that there is one God. Hmm. Okay. Now, where are they coming out of? Where are the Israelites coming out of when they receive this? Egypt. Egypt. Just like you just came out of Egypt. Yes. And and I was thinking about this when you were talking about the Temple of Karnak there. Yeah. Um, and, and, and you talked about this idea of the God, right? The yeah. various gods. And there are all these kind of poly, you know, it's a polytheistic culture. Right. Um, you know, there's gods to the sun God, uh, which is what you talked about a lot, mm-hmm. Amun-Ra or Amun-Re. And then you've got, you know, you've got the, the Nile, you've got, you know, all, all these different accounts. And the pharaohs were deities as well. The pharaohs were deities, all kinds of gods, Right. Mm-hmm. It's it's a plurality of gods. Okay. And what the law, then, what this, what Moses needs them, you can see why it's a temptation for them. Right. Well, yeah. I, I'll be honest. I thought about this is, okay. you know, when we were there, it's coming out of this, like you were in with a dominant culture that yes. was dominating you and they worship these other gods. Well, maybe there's something to it. Right. You know what I mean? Like your life was building these monuments that just got bigger and bigger right. and like more. In the ancient world, I mean, it was impressive for me, but in the ancient world, have been like, oh yeah. my gosh, yeah. And so to think, um, <laughs> you know, it's kind of that that mindset they would have had exactly. having lived in that exactly, and 
and may, you know they didn't we don't we don't have records of them worshiping these gods but like this culture that worships these gods has been dominating them and so, is there validity to it so i want to two things i want first i want to go back to two episodes ago then uh and, and we talked then about the idea of um you know you talked about all these gods and and the part of the the exodus part of the 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 plagues was to show the superiority of the true god of, of yahweh mm -hmm. god yeah. over these false gods that right. was what was being revealed to the egyptians but also to the israelites okay now the other thing is something you said last week that you're reporting this egyptologist that mm -hmm. that was talking about um you know the temple of karnak and these kind of things and he quoted to you this passage i never noticed deuteronomy i believe it was um that you you shared with us last week do you remember that it was, was an exodus exodus okay it was an exodus yeah and it's oh that's right it's that these our, know, our sacrifices would not be acceptable the the ram and this yeah. idea that okay so so there's this idea so you see there's an example that's a minor detail for us we're we go, I don't care if I sacrifice a ram or not, but within its historical context, it makes a ton of sense. That's why it's important to ask these questions, okay? Mm -hmm. So they're coming out of this polytheistic culture, and you're saying, well, that's what you've been taught and known. So here's here's a story. Let me tell you a story from the law. God takes Moses up to Mount Sinai, and he's up there for 40 days, and part of what he's doing is revealing the stuff that Moses is writing down, that's what's happening during that 40 days, right? Not only the Ten Commandments, but all of this other stuff, I think, that we, we have in these four books of, or five books of Moses. Oh, boy. I just oh threw away one of them, but uh, <laughs> um, in these, in the Pen we call it the Pentateuch, right? These five yeah. books of Moses. Um, so he's revealing these things to him. And what's happening down in the valley? They're, they're making a golden calf. And, and here's what Moses's brother, Aaron, Aaron yeah. makes this golden calf. And he says to them, here are your gods, O Israel, who, who brought you up out of Egypt. Mm -hmm. So they are immediately reverting to this idea of idol worship because they came out of a polytheistic culture. The Apis bull is what we think that yeah. this is modeled on, which is one of the gods that was worshipped. And that so they make this golden calf and, and it, it, it's worshipped. Um you know, it's just it's just an interesting thing to think. Well, I don't, interesting is not the right word, but but immediately they fall back into this idea of polytheism. So let me give you a couple of other examples. Maybe you've never thought about. So this becomes a temp temptation for them. So it's it's raining here. It suddenly started raining. Um, I can get it on the computer. Okay. Well, you, everybody's listening. Just don't worry about never it. Never mind. It, it'll sound perfect so, to everybody when they listen to it. Perfect. <laughs> so here's the Ten Commandments. What's the first command? Uh, love the Lord your God. Do you have another God before me? You shall have no other gods before me, mm -hmm. right? And then the second one is don't make to me any graven image. Mm -hmm. Okay, so again, in context, it makes a ton of sense when you're thinking they're coming out of this context where where there are many gods and they're worshipped by these idols. Right. And so the you know one fifth of the Ten Commandments is dealing with this it's issue. Like, Listen, don't guys, do that. Right, yeah. the first two. Yeah, no other gods before me, and and don't make a graven image to me. Right. Mm -hmm. So again, which is all they've been doing for four hundred years. And so that's that's so you get what I'm saying is mm -hmm. we don't think about the historical context in this way. Now, here's the other part of it. So so part of this is to say, okay, now we need to go and we need to go into the land that God had promised to Abraham. Because you'll remember in the, it, later on in the story in Genesis, Abraham goes down he, and he wanders around Canaan. Uh, he calls himself a stranger in a strange land, right? right. He's, he's he's not at home there. He's a no, living as a nomad among them. God blesses him in the midst of that. But then God gives him that promise and he says, there's a come to, time coming when your descendants will this this will be their land this is the land that i'm promising that promise i made to you in genesis 12 you're going to become a great nation and you're going to live in this land uh is is being fulfilled in this now here's the here's the thing you need to think about the canaanites who lived in that land were also a polytheistic nation mm -hmm. nations technically they worship many gods they worshiped idols as well so look at deuteronomy now deuteronomy this this <laughs> this is the shema um well let, actually let's look at a different passage first let's look at deuteronomy chapter 12 okay deuteronomy i would say is the final kind of the final sermon of um moses 
Moses before he enters into the promised land. You're on um, Nebo. Mount Nebo, and uh, this is this is the plains of Moab. Before that happens, here's Moses kind of giving the final stuff. So here's here's what he says about when they go into the land. This is chapter 12, 29. It says, Lord, your God will cut off before you the nations you're about to invade and dispossess. And when you've driven them out and settled in the land, and after they've been destroyed before you, be careful not to be ensnared by inquiring about their gods, saying, how do these nations serve their gods? We will do the same. And and, and I just, I kind of cherry picked that. There are all kinds of things in here. Uh, a lot of the laws, especially ones we find strange, have to do with this idea of saying to the Israelites within that historical context of the time, the Exodus, saying, don't act like these nations that you're going in to dispossess. <laughs> you know, don't give your sons to be married a, to their daughters. And, and don't and don't allow your daughters to be temple prostitutes. And you're like, I hadn't thought had thought about that. But it, it, it's it's within the context of Canaan that that was a part of the worship of Baal. Mm-hmm. You know, and so so they're coming out of a polytheistic culture, going into another polytheistic culture, and and this is a big part of what the law is about. Mm-hmm. Now, this is where I was going to the Shema. If there's a statement of faith for the people of Israel, it is it is the Shema. We call it Hero Israel, the Lord our God. Uh, so look at it. Look at what it says here in, in chapter six of Deuteronomy. I'll let you read this. This is chapter six, verses four through nine. Okay, let me get there. Chapter six, verses four through nine. Hero yeah. Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at the home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. Which, you know, we see them taking literally even to this day, the the people who live in Israel now will, you know, bind these on the on the door frame. But but what is the Shema? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. Okay. Not like the Egyptians, not like the Canaanites, the Lord our God is one. That's why it becomes such an important and, and he says you need to tell your you need to teach this to your children. You need to think about these things when you get up in the morning. And it begins with this idea the Lord our God is one. And this is you know, this is a problem all the way through the Old Testament. You know, we right. they keep coming back. Solomon has this problem sure. at the end of his life. Exactly. And and God knew it was going to be a temptation for them. And that's, you know, a lot of people have, and rightfully so, it's difficult to think about the Canaanite genocide, that God's command is utterly wipe these people out. But his his concern for his people is that they are going to be led astray into these other, into these, worshiping these other gods. And, and so, you know, that's, again, that's a lot of what this, what this law is about. So, so you know, God guided Abraham's family in the, this promise, as I've mentioned before. I want to look at one more passage, and then we'll see if there's any other questions that, that, that come to you. But so God said to Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to give you this land, and then you'll be a blessing to all people. And I'll, I'll say this now. I don't think it's just, just me and others that have kind of made this into a central theme. Peter, in chapter 4 of the book of Acts, for example, in his second major sermon, Acts 2 is obviously the first major sermon. But then he he talks about this idea that that this is to fulfill this promise that God made to Abraham, you'll be a blessing to all people, talking about Jesus and then what we do as we carry carry this on. There's a way in which we are still heirs of this promise today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this, I would say, covenant today. There's a way in which we are still heirs of this. And in the same way that God gave the law to the Israelites through Moses in order to help them on their way, then we look at these things, uh, as Paul says, for example, that, that they have grafted in. Well, right, in, in Romans, but but I was thinking about where he says these were examples to us. And so we look at how God dealt with his people and and, and how we should be encouraged by the fact that even despite sometimes their failures and despite uh, you know the 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 difficult circumstances that they faced that that God's promise is still still is true and then you know finally of course in Jesus as Paul says you know all these promises are yes in him you know these are he is the ultimate fulfillment of these i want to just point out one more thing so abraham god gave the abraham this promise and and we're actually going to talk about this um in another, well, I guess we could, should talk about it now. That the Galatians, I should have said something about this at the very beginning. Now I realize I've, I messed up this whole thing, so we need to restart. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, so 
when when the promise that Paul contrasts in Galatians between Abraham and the law, mm-hmm. um, what he says is that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's a quotation from Genesis chapter 15. And what happens there is after a period of time, you know, Abraham says, God, you promised me a great nation. And right now I still don't have any kids. And, and so God says, go outside and look at the stars. And he says, as many as there's as many stars as you see in the sky, that's how many children you're going to have. Right. And, and it says that Abraham believed him, trusted in him, or however you want to say that, and, and it was credited him as righteousness. Now, that, is, that passage, that verse becomes very important for Paul. Uh, Abraham then becomes the father of us, not because we are genetically descended from him, but because we are children of faith, because we are people mm-hmm. of faith as well. We are people who Believe. say we, we trust God in what he has said to us. And therefore we become children of Abraham. The passage you're talking about in Romans, we'll talk about another day, maybe in, in, in different things. But, but uh, so, so Abraham was given this promise. And again, Isaac was given that promise. Jacob was given that promise. The book of Genesis chapter 49 ends. The book of Genesis ends with Jacob passing on to his sons, these promises Basically saying, uh, first time we find, of course, Judah singled out, saying you're going to be the one who's going to be the ruler. Uh, you're going to be a lion's cub. The lion of Judah becomes uh, enters in there. So these are passed on to the to the tribes. But then again, in the context, when the Israelites are coming up out of Egypt, the 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 promise then is said. Okay, now this covenant, this promise that God made to Abraham, is now to you. And, and I want to show you this this very important. I call we call we call it this covenant ceremony. It's it's in Exodus chapter twenty four, and that's kind of how I'll end today. Unless you got any other questions or anything, uh, I don't think so. Exodus chapter twenty four. Um, <laughs> I would say this is a church service unlike any you've ever seen. Um, so uh, start in verse two. Okay. Um, Get there. Oh, not two. I'm starting three. Moses went and told the people all the the Lord's words and laws. Okay, so this is, you know, he's been on Sinai, he's he's gotten the law, <clears throat> tells tells them all the words and laws that, that God has given them. And the people respond with one voice, everything the Lord has said we will do. <laughs> Easier to say than do. <laughs> Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. So there's that idea of he's writing these things. Now, this is probably at least Leviticus chapters one through eight. I mean, I don't know how much he wrote down at this time. But this is he got up early the next morning and he built an altar at the foot of the mountain and he set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in bulls and the other half he splashed against the altar. So this is a, you see this in the book of Leviticus. Here's how you offer sacrifice. You, you put the blood on the altar. But then he took the other half. Uh, it says in verse seven, he took the book of the covenant. Again, that's probably the first eight chapters of Leviticus. Took the book of the covenant, read it to the people. They responded, we will do everything the Lord said we will obey. Then Moses took the blood. This is the, what he, the other half of the blood he had in the bulls. And he sprinkled it on the people. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. This is a weird church service. Okay. And, and here's what he says. So that idea of the covenant, the promise that God made to Abraham, the covenant promise, Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. So that promise that God made to Abraham is now being realized in, in the people of Israel. Mm-hmm. Now that blood of the covenant is an, that, that phrase occurs very infrequently in scripture. You'd think it's, it occurs all the time. It's sprinkled with blood. Well, uh, it, this kind of reminds me of first Peter when we were in first Peter, because okay. at the end of it, it talks about to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Sprinkled. Like, mm-hmm. Sprinkled. His blo- anyway, yeah. sorry. That no, was just no, a, that's, a, no, a that's, But no, it, it's, it's a very infrequent how that is brought up. And, and so his, you know, his the way it's passed on to the Israelites. Now here, here's where the blood of the covenant does come: is is, is Jesus gathers twelve to him, mm-hmm. and on the night he's arrested, he takes the 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 ceremony of the Passover, which is a way to remember the Exodus, mm-hmm. right? And and he takes the cup, and he says, "This 
is the blood, right? This is my blood of the covenant, which is shed for you. And it becomes this, this part of the way now we are fulfilling as followers of Jesus. Uh, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, um, we are fulfilling a, a part of that role. The same way the covenant ceremony there. Now, it's it's not quite as weird as that. I mean, I can't imagine going to church and somebody's <laughs> sprinkling, sprinkling blood on you. Bull, bull, bull blood, blood on me, right? But, Take a bath. But we do symbolically, you know, as a central part of our worship. Uh, it has been that way from the very early days, right? Uh, at least the end of Acts chapter 2. Um, which is pretty early in the birth of the church. Yeah. Um, we, we take this this uh, cup and we think about the blood of Jesus. And we, like you said, we consider ourselves sprinkled with that, right? And we, mm-hmm. we consider the way that his blood is, is you know, makes us a part of that promise, that, that covenant. And we carry on fulfilling. Of course, the last part of the covenant is that, that, your descendant, and that's the whole thing with the seed you read earlier, yeah. your, your descendant will be a blessing to all people. And we understand that to be Jesus, mm-hmm. and then he is the blessing to all people. And again, we'll talk about that another day. We we carry on that work of, of, of you know, becoming a blessing because of what he's done for us and sharing the, the good news, the gospel yeah. uh, with others. Yeah, that's really interesting. Like you said at the beginning, I had not spent too much time thinking about the context. Yeah. Of, I mean, I knew it wasn't written. You know, Moses wasn't there when sure. Genesis, you Genesis know, the Genesis narrative. Place, right. Um, but also thinking about the importance of some of that messaging when they get yes. it in that Exodus and yeah. how um, important that was, and just the, that context of uh, then leaving a polytheistic culture where they had been dominated by this polytheistic culture going against um going into the canines who were polytheistic and you know this is why it was so important god said like again which is a hard thing for some people to deal with but like you 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 gotta you gotta get rid of all of it because there was just and what it's interesting for me is to think about like this natural inclination that they seem to have to want to just gravitate towards back sure yeah. To go back to that, and even thinking, even some of that, the, the the first generation that was in Egypt died in the desert. You know, yeah. this is a whole new generation, but even as they come into uh, Canaan, it's like, hey, this is still, this temptation seems to be always yep. coming back. Yeah, and even even the fact that the, the failure, I didn't talk about this, but the failure to trust that God would be able to take them into the promised land. Again, I think that's part of what these stories were, were mm-hmm. meant to engender in them, is that you know, even if it looks like the people of Canaan are big and, and, and you know, the walls are high, right. that God's able to do it. And that's, that's of course, what the rest of the story of, you know, then Joshua and others uh, become for us that that image. Here's kind of the the main, and, and again, these there's lots of interesting things, I think, that, that go, again, when we think of these in context. It's not wrong for us to have these curious questions. It's, it's not wrong for us to wonder all kinds of things. And people have been doing this for a long time. It didn't originate with us where we're like, well, you know, the scripture doesn't make this clear. What, what do you think about this? We we can speculate, Mm -hmm. but here's my point is, is sometimes I think it's important for us to think of the context in order to focus on what is being communicated clearly here. And, And so that's why, you know, again, going back to that creation account, that the Lord God is the one who is the creator. In mm-hmm. some ways, I say that that's what it, that's the definition of God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I don't mean that's all that He is, but but He is the one who created everything. That that's that's how you begin to talk about what what it means that God is God. Is He is the one? He's the you know to use Platonic terms. He's the uncreated creator, right? He is right. He is the the unmoved mover. He is the one who has created all things. Uh, now, God has revealed more about Himself than than that. It's, right. He's more than just some impersonal force that that you know brings the universe into existence. Um, but but that's at least the beginning of this definition, and, and that is against you know any view that that has this this number of different divine you know beings or, or I wouldn't even use the word divine but spiritual beings that that are responsible for the creation of the world mm-hmm. <laughs> right and those were the stories that that were being told in 
Egypt. Those are the stories that were being told in Canaan. And, and God reveals to Moses, here's the, here's the, here's the true story. Here's the way it is. Uh, and, and that's, that's what's up against it. So that, so my point is, again, it's not bad for us to have these curious questions that we bring to the text, but I think we need to at least begin with saying what were the questions that were present for the people that this was offered to originally. Right. I'm thinking, you know, my famous question of so what? Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, well, you know, for me, I think I'm trying to think about like this in our own lives and God yeah. is saying this message to a people that have come out of slavery and that have lived in it and they're, they die because yeah. of disobedience, but it's like, it's so important that hear it again yeah. as you go into it. And it's a temptation that, as you know, we talked about Solomon, you know, yeah. he comes back and he, God gives him like supernatural wisdom and it's still this, yeah. you know, marries into it and it kind of, he starts on this end of his life spiral. And so, sure. you know, what for us today, I don't, I don't think many of us would say like, I'm worshiping Baal no. or Moloch or, well, you let's, know, let's, let's get to it. I mean, let's, let's, let me, let me be a little bit more clear about what I'm talking about here what so so it's culture culture conditioners right yeah uh, it, it is uh, uh when you're when you're around a people you, there's this tendency to absorb social imaginaries right to use it <laughs> to use the phrase of, a, of an author that we've been reading charles taylor yes. yeah and so so we are conditioned in the same way you, you mentioned to the to the Israelites in Egypt, they were conditioned to think in a particular way. What are our gods? Well, hmm. we're 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 conditioned to think in a scientific mm-hmm. uh, way. And, and and don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with science. I'm not I'm not right. We're not, but, but we can make it at the end all be all. I think so, and, and I think I think that again, a lot of the questions we take to Genesis are cosmological, right? They're, they're, they're about where does everything come from? And I don't know within its historical context that that's a primary focus mm-hmm. that Moses was trying to get across. Now, I believe that the entire scriptures are true. Right. Right. And and we'll talk about truth in a, in a later episode. Um, hopefully we're talking about truth quite a bit, but um, the, uh, um, you know, the way that we're conditioned to think, um, you know, in our, in our culture and context, I think we need to be, be willing, um, to think about what is, what is important. So I do, I believe God is the creator God. Hmm. I believe that everything that exists has its origins in him. Right. Right. I, I don't know that I know everything. In fact, this is what part of the earliest book, the book of Job is about. I don't know that I can intelligently speak about, you know, where the mountain goat gives birth or, right. or what it looked like when God set the stars in the heavens. Where were you? That's, that's what God says the Job. Where it, were you when it, I did exactly. this? Exactly. So, so here's here. The, so what I think is, I think we need to have a great deal more <laughs> than we typically have a great deal more humility mm-hmm. when it comes to answering some of these big questions that, than we have, whether we're saying, Oh, here's exactly the way it, it, it took place. I'm a follower of Bishop Usher. And I think that, you know, the mm-hmm. earth was created late on a Thursday afternoon, you know, um, <laughs> at, at around six thirty. you know, mm-hmm. um, it, it it's it, you know that kind of confidence and saying uh, other people who think differently are stupid and in the same way kind of the the from a strictly and i would say not even scientific but scientistic standpoint says there is no means of knowledge outside of of science mm-hmm. um you know the the problem is you're still inside the box right you right. we we can only answer questions and, and and even people who 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 think they've got it figured out can't get back to to what l- things look like before physics <laughs> right right they, they're yes. trying right right but, but you know that's 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 the the issue i think it, it brings us a degree of um i would say uh, hermeneutical and epistemological uh humility in other words mm-hmm. to say that we think we know it all yeah i, I i've you know I've, i had this conversation with someone once and it's just like you know what what if god had said to moses i'm going to explain exactly how this sure. happened and no one would have understood anything exactly. and, and i'm just like you know i think about myself like if I'm going to say Stephen Hawking. That's the only person I can think of. Right. Like if he started going down the science path sure. with me and like saying all this stuff, like you said a lot of words. I don't know what it means. Right. And like, how is it supposed to inform for me? So thinking about, 
you know, God could have told us yeah. it's precisely what happened and would have had no meaning for us. Yeah. And so like, that's important. But then also, as you said, like there's this arrogance where we think we're at the zenith yeah. of not, like, well, we're positioned at some point, we know everything there is to know. Right. And it's like, yeah, you know, maybe, you know, 50 years ago, they thought that, you know what I mean? Like we sure. were, we had, you know, like everywhere along the line, everybody thinks we're at the, 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 zenith, the right. zenith of it. And so some intellectual humility, epistemological sure. humility, as you said, um, but also realizing like that there is this conditioning that can happen where, like, yeah. as you said, like we have to be careful of exalting one thing above, yeah. you know. Yeah. It, and, and I guess I just want, I want us to think about all of the books of scripture are, best understood within their historical context, including these books that have these these big grand meta narratives, these big mm-hmm. grand themes that are they're part of it. So yeah, it's context. We always say context. Context is, you know, it, it's not everything. The words have their own meaning. Sure. But context really leads they, you into understanding. They have their meaning within the historical and the and right. literary context you know, though. Uh, so yeah. God gave us a brain to use it. <laughs> right. Yeah. So absolutely. Well, Brian, I think this is great. Good. You know, to think for us, you know, how we can look at those, um, you know, even Leviticus, how we can, you know, like th- right. th- that's, I think that's the thing is we get in some of these things and it's arcane, sure. and, you know, but understanding like there was specific purpose and context right. and that, that there is, there is meaning to them. And, and that, yeah, best understood within that, within that historical context, I think. Yeah. Yes. Awesome. Well, thanks, Brian. All right. Episode number 84. Wow. In next, the can. Let me see. Next episode will be 85, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So make sure if you're a new listener, go, go check us out on, uh, on uh, Facebook, Instagram, Facebook, Instagram on, uh, the World Wide web. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, and if you're enjoying the podcast, if you're finding value in it, we'd invite you to be a patron of ours. Mm-hmm. So, like, yeah, you can find it on our website. That's on, our, on our website, thebiblebistro.com. The in the upper right hand corner, there's a support uh, up there. And if you, you can get some swag, yeah. we've got a couple different levels there where you can, you know, help us. Uh, Brian and I do this because, well, we love it. <laughs> it's the only time we talk. <laughs> Um, and, uh, no, we do love, you know, like yeah. we, we enjoy doing, we, we think there's benefit to us, but it does, also, have a, it does have a cost. Yeah, yeah. It does have a cost and we would definitely appreciate your support. So Brian, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Good to see you, Ryan. See you next yeah, time. I'll, I'll talk. Episode 85. I'll, I'll talk to you again only when we start recording episode 85. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Ready to, ready to be silent. Ready and shun. Yeah. <laughs>